All right, so as we pray tonight, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and through his blood, not in our own righteousness or works, but through the blood. And Lord, we thank you for the awesome power, Lord, of the blood of the Lamb that we're going to talk about tonight. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And as I preach tonight, I just ask you that you would anoint me fresh and speak through me everything that needs to be said tonight, everything that needs to release out. Lord, I pray it'll be as living seeds of truth that's sown into good soil out there. That even now, as people are going to be hearing this, that the Holy Spirit move into where we are, and people are driving down the road, however they're hearing this, the Holy Spirit just move in where they are. Lord, help us to give you our best ear and our full attention, that the Holy Spirit will lock us in, get our hearts and our minds locked into what you're saying, anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, Give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds tonight in every way. That this will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I ask you that you would bless this time. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. But I pray that your word will go out tonight as light, like a revelation knowledge. And will shine bright and dispel any darkness of the enemy and bring light and revelation and truth. And Lord, I pray, this is so important, I pray that this will not just be seen on a surface level. But Lord, I ask you that this will be a rhema word. And Lord, it will come by revelation knowledge in the heart. Not just mentally agreeing, but it will go deeper than that. Lord, it will be something in our hearts that is really revealed to us. And Lord, I pray that it will produce great faith because the heart is where the faith comes from. Lord, let it produce great faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word, but that, that there is not just hearing it on a surface level. It's rhema. Lord, let it get in us tonight. That will never be the same. And so I ask you to bless this time and let everything be accomplished into it. Your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to deal with the blood tonight, and I believe that's why the glory has been so strong here. For those that are going to be hearing this outside of River of Life, this is just, you know, it's another sermon, and I pray it's a great blessing. But for you guys in River of Life, this is not just another sermon. Okay, this is something that God is literally doing in our midst, and it is significant, and I pray, I have prayed this week so much, I pray that this will really get in us because this is going to be something that's going to help take all of us individually and corporately deeper in the Lord, and it's significant. It has to do with things he's been speaking to us about his glory increasing. It has to do with restoration and health and all of that, okay? So let me just go ahead and dive into this. It does go along with the Americanized Christianity series. I'm going to deal with covenant all right, um, along these lines with covenant, it's like I guess a lot of things. A lot of times in Western culture and in our American culture, this is a foreign concept. So for us to understand what the Bible is saying in this area, we really have to renew our minds with the word. So tonight as I talk, this is, I'm telling you right now, this is something that's going to be very different to our mindset. And that's good, isn't it? Because I want to know what the Bible says. 
And I believe this will really help you understand some things about God, understand some things about the blood covenant we have in Christ. And also different passages in the scripture will make more sense. But the way I wanted to start this was kind of bringing out some of the negative and then I'm going to shift over to the positive. But in America right now, and you know throughout our history, there's been a lack of understanding of the seriousness of a covenant. And it's only gotten worse. It has not gotten better. I think that, you know, 100 years ago, people understood a lot more how serious the marriage covenant was, you know. But down through the years, it's become something that is not really taken seriously. So, let me get into the word covenant tonight. Malachi 2.16, the Bible says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you knew you do not deal treacherously. And so let me just keep going with this and I'll talk about a few things. Ecclesiastes 5.4 When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay your vow. So in American culture, People really don't understand how serious this is. When we make a covenant before God, it is an extremely serious matter with Him. When we make a vow to God, we promise God, if you do this, I'll do this. And we make a vow. It is very, very serious with God. And the Bible considers somebody that breaks, you know, flippantly breaks covenants and vows as a fool. Let me just tell you how extremely important it is when you give somebody your word that you do everything you can to keep that word. How many children have had to literally, in their, as they grew up, had to be healed from a broken heart of a parent that made a promise and then just totally broke that promise flippantly to them and it broke their heart? How many people have been betrayed in a marriage covenant and literally had their heart broken to where God had to heal them supernaturally because somebody so flippantly broke that covenant. It's a serious matter with the Lord. In America, I would say that we don't even really make covenants anymore. Even the marriage covenant, I don't think a lot of people consider it a covenant and don't even know what a covenant is. What we do in America is we make contracts. Contracts and covenants are not the same thing at all. And because we don't understand covenant, it affects our lives as Christians. Because people live their life, you guys ever seen the old thing where they get the flower? She loves me, she loves me not, you know, that. And then it gets to the last one and that's, that's the verdict, right? Well... That's not the way it is with God, but the thing is that because people don't understand covenant, they're up and down big time. They're, they're really on an emotional high when things are going good, and they're very, very down when things are not going good. They feel when things are going good, God loves me, and they feel like when things are going bad, God doesn't love me anymore. That is not God at all. God is steadfast in his love. 
we're in a blood covenant and i'm hoping by the end of this that you'll understand blood covenant in a very deep way and you'll understand god's incredible um, faithfulness toward us hey, god is not one that breaks his covenant god's not one that would make a promise and break it you understand what i'm saying he's faithful to his covenants and he's faithful to his word the problem is a lot of times we don't understand this and people live a lack of faith because we don't understand it god has an unwavering commitment toward his people now covenant let me say this covenant is a solemn and binding commitment between two parties and it is a pledge of loyalty So let me go into this now and let's get focused on what the Bible's talking about with God's covenant promise toward us, his blood covenant he's made with us because we see that when we take the Lord's Supper. And that's why tonight, God permitting, and if it works out, we might do something significant here at the end, but we'll just have to see if the Lord leads that way about communion. But what we do need to understand is that when we take the Lord's Supper, it is our covenant meal. So let me go through some things here, and I, I really want people to understand this covenant principle because I think many times people are too loose about our view of relationships with people and with God. God has such a steadfast commitment to his people. all right so let's go through this first samuel 18 1 through 3 this is a good story in the bible so is genesis 15 but first samuel 18 1 through 3 you'll see in the bible that it's always referred to as cutting a covenant everybody say cut the reason why it's always referred to as cutting a covenant is because there had to be blood shed Everything in the Bible from God's perspective has to do with God's covenant with man. You, how many times have you heard me say things like this? The Bible was not written for the purpose of God trying to prove himself to an atheist. That's not why it was written. You read the first three chapters of the Bible and the last three, it is God's redemptive plan for man. And you see from the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and God you know, killed an animal and clothed them in animal skins, all the way through Revelation, you see that there is blood and there is a blood covenant and God has a covenant people that he is faithful to them. Now David growing up in the culture of the Middle East, he would have understood covenant and he understood how serious it was. And David and Jonathan were going to come into a covenant agreement together. Jonathan would have been the heir to the throne. So when Saul died, had God permitted things this way, we know that God said he was going to take the kingdom from Saul, but had that not happened, when Saul died, Jonathan would have been the heir. So Jonathan would have been the king of Israel. But God gave it to David. Samuel pulled him out of the field, anointed him. We know the story. Jonathan knew that. 
Jonathan knew that he was actually would have been the heir, but because his father sinned, he knew David was going to be. And Jonathan and David truly were best friends. They loved one another, and they came into a covenant together. The first thing about a covenant is this. You have to count the cost of a covenant because it is an unwavering loyalty to that other person to the death. And it doesn't end. Did everybody hear what I said? It's an unwavering loyalty to the death you got to count the cost. Jonathan counted the cost when he came into a covenant with David. And we see this with Jesus. Jesus counted the cost, and the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. Jesus counted the cost of what it was going to take to bring us in a blood covenant with him. And the father really what happened is is jesus being the sacrifice god the father we are brought in covenant with the father through the blood of our passover lamb the messiah so number one jesus counted the cost and how many knows that jesus that was a severe cost number two covenant exchanges when David and Jonathan came into a blood covenant together, the Bible says they exchanged their robes. Well, it isn't interesting that David, being a shepherd, would have been out in the fields living in this nasty robe where he laid down in the mud. It rained. He got dirty. He had to chase. He was all over these sheep all the time. He stunk. Jonathan, on the other hand, would have had a beautiful princely robe. And they exchanged robes. And isn't it interesting that Jonathan knew David would end up in the throne and gave him a princely royal robe, you see. They exchanged their weapons. David would have had that sling. And David killed what? The lion and the bear. But then he also took down Goliath. And he used that sling. That was a shepherd's weapon. But Jonathan would have had the most expensive, beautiful, princely sword you could imagine. The most expensive in Israel, no doubt. He would have had a beautiful sword. And they exchanged those weapons. The sash, this was like a belt around the waist. This speaks of, in the Bible, the sash spoke of like your strength. David would have had a shepherd's sash. But Jonathan would have had the belt of a warrior prince. And they exchanged. Now we see this with Jesus toward us today. That Jesus identified himself with us. He came down as a sinful man in the image of sinful man even though he himself was without sin. Let me say that again. Jesus came down in the image of man, even though he himself was without sin. He was perfect. I know that. But he came down and he identified himself with humanity. And in that, 
through the cross, Jesus, even though he came down in the likeness of man, in the likeness of sinful man, he was perfect, he was holy, he was the perfect sacrifice, but all of the sin of the world came on him on the cross. It was a clothing of filth that came on him, a filthy garment. But through that, even though he was perfect and holy, the sin of the world draped on him like a nasty garment on that cross. Our sin. You see, when you take communion, with your mind's eye, be thinking to yourself, you know what? Any of my sin, any of my transgressions, any of my iniquity is out of me and it goes into him. It goes into his uh, wounds where he was pierced for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The punishment that brought peace with God was on him. And so you see that all the pollution leaves you and goes into him. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 24, that he bore in his body our sin, that we're dead to sin and alive unto righteousness. So our sin goes into him and the divine exchange. You ready? Now we are clothed in the righteousness of God. We're given a robe of righteousness, a royal priesthood. Just like Jonathan gave David a royal garment, the Bible says that we're priests unto God, but it's not just priests, it's royal priests. There's something kingly there because Jesus is a king. And so there's a shift of identity there that God has taken us from our filthy rags and now he's clothed us in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right, number two, Jesus, you know, regarding the sash, strength. Jesus took our weaknesses to give us his strength. And that's the exchanging of the belt. The belt speaks of that. And how many knows that Jesus allowed himself to be beaten and to bleed? And here he was carrying that cross, hung on that cross. He was in a place there where he yielded himself to be very weak and very vulnerable. But in that, he paid so that we could become strong in God. That his, his strength now becomes our strength. But he had to yield himself to that beating and that abuse. Jesus also exchanged weapons. See, when you come into covenant, your enemies become his enemies. Now, this is a very important part that people really understand what I'm saying here. Is I, I fear that this could go over some people's um, mindset right now. Did you ever notice that before you were saved and you were just living for the devil that you seem to not really face any type of spiritual warfare per se? But once you accept Christ as your Savior, man, it seems like all of a sudden you got an enemy. See, Satan is Jesus' enemy. And when you come into a blood covenant, his enemy becomes your enemy. Did everybody get that? All right. In the same way, all of our enemies become his enemies. I'm letting that really get into your spirit, okay? I don't want that just to go in and out one ear, you know, and in one ear, out the other. I really want that to get in you. His, our enemies are his enemies. He obligates himself to take down our enemies. 
So Satan's going to try to throw all kinds of things your way, but you have to understand that you are in a blood covenant with the Father, and in that blood covenant that there are promises in the word that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, you will stand in judgment and condemn. If you submit unto God and resist the devil, he will flee. And because you're in that blood covenant, God has obligated himself to that word. God will be an enemy to your enemies, and he will attack your enemies and deal with them. He will send his angels. That has to do with the exchanging of weapons. It's interesting that Jesus' enemy becomes our enemy, but that's okay because God's given us the blood of Jesus, he's given us the armor of God, and he's given us the sword of the word. And he's given us the name of Jesus. So let me talk about cutting covenant tonight. Remember, it was never just making like a deal or some kind of a handshake. It wasn't about just signing a little contract. This was a blood covenant and it was very serious. And the people this time understood that if I come into this covenant, I'm in it the rest of my life. Their enemies are now my enemies. So if they're ever in trouble, me and all my people, we go there. If we're ever in trouble, they come here. We're in a blood covenant. So this involved in biblical times the blood of an animal. You would have to kill an animal and cut it in half. And you would walk as those halves were separated. You would walk in a figure eight through that animal like that on bloody soil. And the mindset was that if I fail to keep my covenant may what's done to this animal be done to me. That was the mindset. Let me say that again. In biblical times, an animal had to be cut in half and separated. The two parties that are coming into a blood covenant would walk a figure eight around those pieces and walk on bloody soil because it was a blood covenant. So their feet would walk on bloody soil and the mindset was, and both parties understood this, if I'm not faithful to my covenant, my end of the covenant, to the death, to the rest of my life, may what's done to this animal be done to me. So it was a very serious matter. It was a pledge between two men before God. So when you make a covenant, you're not just making a covenant to another person, but you're doing it before God Almighty and he holds us to those covenants. David and Jonathan, no doubt, would have done exactly what I'm describing here. But also, even though this isn't mentioned in the story with David and Jonathan, another aspect of the covenant was this. Once all, all of that was done, excuse me, they would also take a knife and they would cut their hand and there would be some ashes that would be rubbed into that so that when it healed, it would definitely leave a mark in their hand because they wanted to have a scar in their hand showing that covenant. As a matter of fact, that's why in the Middle East, many times people, when they greeted one another, would hold their hand up like this because if you were in a covenant with somebody, they could see that scar. And it sent a message saying, I'm in covenant with other people. If you mess with me, you're messing with other people too. 
And isn't it, under, isn't it interesting that the Bible says in Isaiah 49, 15 through 16 that God has engraved us in the palm of his hand. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus raised from the dead, that even though he was, had a glorified body and there's no doubt that he had been healed, God allowed that there was still going to be scars in his hand. You understand that he ever lives to make intercession for us right now at the right hand of the Father. And every time he looks at his hand, he, he's reminded of the blood covenant that he's made with us. He obligates himself. We are literally in, engraved on, on the palm of his hand. And so after this covenant was cut, everything was done, it would be sealed with a covenant meal. Usually something basic like bread and wine. And that's why you see that through the scriptures. And that's obviously what Jesus was doing whenever he made that covenant meal at Passover and instituted communion. Because he said, this represents my body and my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. But it was more to that. In the early church, the disciples fully understood this culture and they knew exactly what Jesus was referring to that this was a covenant meal. You guys remember whenever Israel was at Sinai and God came down on Sinai and the mountain rumbled. There was a cloud there, a sound of a shofar. And Moses had taken the blood that was shed of animals and he had sprinkled it on the people as much as he could. Sprinkled the blood on the people. The blood sprinkled on the elders and the leaders. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And after Israel agreed to keep the word and they came into a blood covenant with God, the Bible says that Moses and, and um, Joshua and the other leaders of Israel went up the mountain into the presence of God and they ate and drank in God's presence. And it says that they saw the God of Israel and they lived, but they ate in his presence. What were they doing? They all understood this. They had come into a covenant, and now they're having a covenant meal. It sealed the deal. And so there's a word in Hebrew called chesed that, that a lot of times in the Bible it's translating as loving kindness. But you have to understand that chesed speaks of not only loving kindness, but there's a deeper meaning. Kind of like the word shalom is translated peace, but it's, it's much more than that. In Hebrew, it implies like being complete, being whole. So it's more than our English word. In the same way, hesed is more than just loving kindness. What it implies is a loyal love. It means that we are in covenant with God and he is loyal to us. See, the way that we show our love for God, yes, we, we love him and we worship him and, and we spend time with him and all of that. But at the end of the day, God is wanting us to be faithful to him. Did everybody get that? And that's that loyal love. 
He's faithful to us, but he's wanting us to forsake other gods. He's wanting us to not get into things that's going to steal our relationship with him. He wants us to be faithful and loyal back to him as he is loyal to us because we're in a blood covenant. I think that everybody can see that Jesus went on the cross and he was the sacrifice. He was the Passover lamb. His blood was shed. And that is the blood of the covenant right there. Now God foreshadowed this in the life of Abraham. I believe it's Genesis 15. But God told Abraham, remember, to kill these four animals. And he cut them, in, or five, however many it was. But he cut them in half and separated them. And he took the birds and just killed each bird on each side. And Abraham walked in that bloody soil. And God appeared to him as a smoking pot and a torch. These would have been things that Abraham would have been familiar with in that culture. How many knows that God knows how to speak to us in a way we understand, okay? These were things that Abraham would have been familiar with. But the smoking pot and the fire of the torch spoke of the cloud by day and the fire by night. It spoke of God's presence. And God himself in, in that pot, in that torch, came and he walked in that bloody soil with Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham. And God takes covenants very serious. In Jeremiah 34, 18, it says, And I will give the men, this is a rebuke right here, I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant which have not performed the words of the covenant which they had made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts thereof. This was a common practice back in these days. And so what I want everybody to understand is, let me, let me talk about the Passover, and then I'm just going to close this out. But I want everybody to really understand some things tonight because I feel like God's wanting to take us deeper in the communion table. But for us to go deeper, what that means is we understand it more. That's what I mean by that. And so when the Passover lamb, Israel was told by Moses, God had hardened Pharaoh. Remember the plagues came. Now the last plague, the firstborn of every household was going to die. You have to understand something that stuck out to me. God made a distinction between Israel and Egypt on all nine plagues until this one. Let me say that again. God made a distinction between Israel and Egypt on all nine plagues except this one. It seemed like the plagues hit Egypt, but in the land of Goshen, Israel seemed to not be affected. And if they were, it was very minimal. But when it came to this last plague, the people of Israel that refused to put the blood on their house, would have, their firstborn would have died. So God told, through Moses, told Israel to take a lamb. It had to be perfect. And what they would do is the father had to take that lamb and they would hold their head up and they would have to slit their throat. They would kill the lamb. And they would turn the lamb to where the blood of the lamb would be caught in a bowl. And then, of course, the lamb would be skinned and all that and prepared to be cooked. But they caught that blood in a bowl. And they would have took hyssop. 
Hyssop is just a common grass, basically. Just like if you were to go outside and you were to reach down and grab a handful of grass and rip it up, and you were going to use that now as a paintbrush. But the father would have to take that bowl of blood of the Passover lamb, and he would dip that hyssop in the blood, and he would sprinkle it on the doorpost and maybe paint it on there. And he had to make sure that blood was on that doorpost. If he did not take the time to apply the blood, he was leaving his family vulnerable. But that blood marked a covenant. And Israel, as they came under that blood, the Bible says when they came out of Egypt that none of them were sick or feeble. The Hebrew word implies like weak or sickly. There was none that were sickly among them. And you know that them living the way they did, poverty-stricken and oppressed like they were, you know that a bunch of them were sickly. But when they came out after they had Passover, God healed them up. And the Bible says they also plundered Egypt. The silver and gold of Egypt was given to them. And they, they came into some kind of a wealth transfer and a prosperity. Now you understand that that, when, as I read 1 Corinthians, I want you to understand the background. That's why Paul told the church in Corinth, he said this, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For he who eats and drinks judgment, the, he's talking about the communion table in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself if he does, does not judge the body rightly. But he says this, <coughs> verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep, meaning dying prematurely. Think about what I'm saying here. He's saying because they did not really understand what they're doing and they're not doing it reverently because they don't really understand it, that people are being, you know, they're getting sick and they're even dying prematurely. But the communion table, just like Passover, was supposed to bring health and healing and strength. In a minute ago, I quoted, I quoted Psalm 105:37. Then he brought them out with silver and gold, and none, none among the tribes, there was not one who stumbled. That implies weak, faint, or sickly. So let me close out with these last couple things. When we take communion, I want you to understand what's going on. And I hope this really brings a deeper appreciation for what God has done for us, really, because it did, it did with me when I studied all this out. But God saw that we were far from him, and he sent Jesus. And Jesus came in the likeness of sinful man, but yet he himself was totally pure. There was no sin in him at all, but he willingly laid down his life. And Jesus was that sacrifice that had to go to the cross and blood had to be shed but it's through that blood covenant that the God of Abraham the God who created all things has come into a blood covenant with you and I and in that exchange we went from our filthy rags to being clothed in royal righteousness Jesus took our weakness so that we could have his strength. And God obligates himself 
that now he's going to be an enemy to our enemies. And through that blood covenant, he's given us all the promises in his word, which the Bible says all God's promises are yes and amen. And God has obligated himself to us. And so when Jesus gave that Passover meal, the early church understood covenant and they understood a covenant meal. He was instituting this. And because you're familiar with the Passover Seder, you understand this is only once a year. So when Jesus was instituting this and said, do this as often as you will, everybody there at that Seder would have kind of looked at each other like, really? Because they had only known once a year, but now this was something new. There was the blood of the new covenant that was about to be shed. Christ, our Passover. And now Christ was giving this covenant meal to us. And what was the covenant meal? It was the last thing in the covenant. It sealed it. Remember that? And so listen, when we take communion together, I want people to really think about what you're doing. In your mind, you realize, as I mentioned earlier, that all your sin and all your rebellion, all your iniquity is going into his wounds 2,000 years ago. It's going into his bruising, into his piercings. And now we're washed. When we take communion, it's just like the cups at Passover. Remember, the second cup is now deliverance. When we take communion, with our mind's eye, we're thinking about the cross. And we're seeing Jesus hanging on that tree, Galatians 3.13, becoming a curse for us. And as he hung there on that cross, blood was dripping from his body. And so all of Satan's influence, his oppression, his kingdom, his works, every evil spirit, everything that you've been facing, all of that junk, it literally goes on him. The divine exchange, the demonic bondage goes on him and now we can be free in Christ by the blood of the lamb to be delivered. That's why many of you when we've led you through this and prayed with you, you felt so much lift off your life. It's because my wife and I are taking you back to the cross. And then you get to the third cup of Passover which has to do with redemption and healing. This was really the communion cup, the cup he used for communion. And when you close your eyes and you're thinking about it, you understand that Jesus, the Bible says that by his stripes, you were healed. And Jesus allowed his back to be plowed open with a cat of nine tails. Let me tell you, Jesus' back was open. It was plowed open. He took wounds on his back. And then when he carried the cross and he hung on that tree and he was hanging there, blood, blood had come out of his back, okay? that blood out of those wounds of his back was payment for your healing and so as you're taking communion you're releasing all of the emotional hurt and pain all of the sickness and disease all of the junk that you don't want in your life anymore that you realize all of that is released into his wounds of his back it's leaving you and going into his wounds the divine exchange that's going into him and now what healing virtue comes into you also when you take communion these are the five things remember the four the fourth cup of passover has to do with praise 
But that last cup, I see two different revelations here. One is that great protection. See, when Israel painted that blood on the doorpost, they were protected. That death angel that wanted to bring death and that destroyer that wanted to come. How many knows that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy? So he wants to come with death and destruction. But when that death angel tried to come, he saw that blood he had to pass over. And what you got to understand when you're taking communion is that just like the hyssop, the hyssop is just like a handful of grass. It's a paintbrush. But what it is, it's your faith. You understand? It's your faith. And the way you release your faith is out of your mouth. It starts in the heart, but it comes out of the mouth. And so what you're saying is, Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus is over my spirit and my soul and my body. And you're painting the blood over yourself, over your family. And let me tell you, as the head of the household, this has great weight in the spirit realm over your family, over your bloodline, over your health, over your finances, your wallets, your bank accounts, your investment, over your vehicles and your travels over all the relationships in your life, over the works of your hands, that every area of your life, you're painting the blood of the lamb over every area. And so when the death and destruction of the enemy tries to come, he's not going to be able to carry out what he actually wants to do. Let me give you an example. If you were to take a lawnmower and you were to crank that lawnmower and you were to start going over grass, that blade's spinning and as it goes over the grass, it's going to destroy. It's going to devour. But if that lawnmower was not cranked, even though it went over the grass, the grass would feel the pressure of it. But as it passed over that grass, it would pop right back up. It may feel the pressure, but it wasn't going to be destroyed. In the same way, when the blood of the lamb is really applied and people have faith in the blood, and they understand that the enemy cannot cross that bloodline. You may feel the pressure sometimes of warfare, but it's not going to be able to bring death or destruction. It has to pass over. And all of us have felt that pressure. But if you stay in faith about the blood, the enemy cannot bring death or destruction. But it takes faith in the blood. And, and the last thing I would say about that fourth cup of Hillel is not just not just the um, protection but also the restoration this is a very important aspect here but the Bible promises us in the word and listen Satan is a legalist and he's always trying to accuse God's people and this is one of the reasons why I really want to teach this and I want God's people to know this because I want I really mean this I want the devil to get a taste of his own medicine and let me explain what I mean. He's always trying to accuse God's people. He's always trying to fault find and find some you know, legal loophole to attack somebody. Well, here's the, here's the fact of the matter. When God wrote the law of Moses, there was, a, there was something set in motion to where when somebody was a thief, he didn't just restore back, but he had to make restitution. And when you read the book of Proverbs, it says this. When a thief is caught, he must restore sevenfold. And now Jesus called Satan. He said, he's come to steal. That's the first thing he said. He's a thief. He's come to steal from you. So God is a faithful judge. The Bible says, Yahweh Mishpat, our judge. 
God is faithful and the persistent widow kept going. Remember that parable, that persistent widow kept going to that wicked judge day after day. And that wicked judge, even though he didn't fear God or man, he eventually said, this woman is going to wear me out. Just give her whatever she wants. Jesus said, how much more so if a wicked judge would do that, how much more so will your father in heaven give justice to his people and do so quickly? And so there's, there's this concept here of restoration. What has the devil stolen from you? As you go before God as a judge as in the courtroom of heaven, God will render justice for the verdict that you have been stolen from and the devil has to restore it back and he has to restore it back many times over. Remember that. Don't let him get away with stuff. And so those are the five things that stick out to me. That we're cleansed from our sin. We're delivered from the enemy's bondage. We're healed. And that's healing in every area. Mental, emotional, physical, whatever. You're totally protected and great restoration. God wants to restore and so whenever you take communion, I want you to be thinking about that. Go back in your mind to Passover, the four cups, that you're taking time here, that you're being cleansed, you're being delivered, you're being healed up. Whatever you need, it's available. And through communion, that's the way that you remember that. And as you're eating that covenant meal in the presence of God before the throne room, what better time would there possibly be to also bring up Lord in the courts of heaven, let there be justice against my adversary who has stolen. Lord, that you would restore sevenfold. In Romans 8, 11, as you take communion, remember the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised up Christ from the dead will restore life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. So keep that in mind as this divine exchange is happening here as you take communion. What that blood covenant has allowed. You remember David and Jonathan, they exchanged things. And what I'm trying to get to is there's an exchange. All the sin, all the sickness, all that's of the devil, all of that goes on the cross. And then what Jesus paid for is coming into us. That's why so many people have told me in River Life down through the years, they take communion with us every week. We bless them in the, the presence of God here, but they're healthier than they used to be. It's because of the divine exchange that's happening. And I believe as you're, you and I are understanding what's going on even more deeply, it's going to even have more of an effect than ever before. And where the blood of Jesus is applied, that's where the glory comes. And what the Lord showed me was just like the pool of Bethesda. That was an interesting story. You have this pool, the sick laid around it. The angel would come, stir the waters. The first one in was healed. There was healing in those waters. You know it and I know it because people wouldn't have been there laying around that pool unless there was really people being healed. And I saw as I prayed, it was like the glory of God began to come in like a thick water because of the thickness and the consistency of his glory. And it was like the pool of Bethesda. And as that water came in, it was like a thick glory. There was healing in that. 
And see, where the blood of Jesus is applied and the blood is reverenced, the glory of God will come in. And God taught me that years ago. And so I don't, I don't try to work up something about the presence of God. Because you can, you can scream and yell, you can jump and down, you can praise as hard as you want, and the glory still be pretty far off. The glory comes because of the blood. And if people will repent of their sins, and they'll get washed and covered in the blood, they'll reverence the blood, God's glory will come with that blood as applied. And remember this, the importance of no, the importance of no fear. Israel had to come under that blood and then they had to go to sleep. They had to trust the blood. They had to trust that the blood would protect them from the destroyer. They had to trust that the blood on that doorpost would protect their firstborn. You know as well as I do when they went to bed that night that the father of the house went to the firstborn and gave him a hug and said, it's going to be okay. I put the blood over the home. You're going to be just fine. It's important to not live in fear and to not partner with fear, but to partner with faith. Because remember, David had to, remember this, he had to run at Goliath. And I love, I recently heard something that really ministered to me about this, but David understood covenant. And David understood that he was a circumcised Israelite. He was a, a man of God. He was anointed. And he understood that God was with him. But he also understood that Goliath, was a wicked man and that God was not with him. He understood that he was in covenant with God and that his enemies were God's enemies. And that's why David ran at Goliath and he had faith because he didn't say some boastful thing about, you know, I'm going to wrestle you to the ground. I'm going to He didn't do that. He ran at Goliath saying, God will give this victory. Because he understood that he was in covenant. And he could run at a giant and take its head off. What is happening to you is happening to the one you're in covenant with. Your enemies are God's enemies. And what does the Bible say? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That right there is Passover. You apply the blood of the lamb and the word, that's the hyssop, the word of faith, the word of your testimony that word spoken is how you overcome because you're, you're speaking out of your mouth the power of the blood over your life and then you're speaking faith, the word of God in your life. Does that make sense? The outer court was a place of the stench of death, but it led into the glory. You understand there had to be blood first, then the glory. All right, and then I put a few scriptures down there that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you were healed. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curses earned the law had becoming a curse for us for it's written cursed as anyone who's hung on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Now you have to understand this and I close with this, this little nugget right here. The influence and the oppression of the enemy is a curse under the law. See, when Israel, they were in covenant, but when Israel would get in sin, God allowed the enemy to come in on them. Remember that? 
And then when they renewed the covenant and repented, God would drive the enemy away. But whenever they weren't, weren't living right, God allowed the enemy to come in and oppress them. Now understand, Satan tries to accuse us of whatever, but at the end of the day, bottom line is this. If we have confessed our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you've really repented, the enemy may try to make some kind of claim, but any of his influence and any of his oppression in your life, in any area, it is a curse under the law. He does not have a legal claim by the blood. Once you deal with things, I understand the deliverance ministry. I understand praying about stuff, but I'm also talking about, I'm talking to people here that's confessed and repented of your sins. And you've prayed about ancestral stuff and you've worked through all that stuff. Now it's time that we stand in faith in the blood. The enemy does not have a claim or a right because of the blood to be able to continue to oppress you. And I believe that once we really go deep in this revelation, all of us have had battles. Everybody here, we've all had different battles. Things the enemy has, has come against us. But I believe that God is wanting to release a greater revelation of the communion table and the blood. Christ, our Passover, his blood has been shed. And that we're going to come under that blood of the lamb with a greater revelation. And what's going to happen is there's going to be greater health there's going to be greater freedom and there's going to be greater protection and there's also going to be a greater realm of God's glory coming in because of the reverencing of the blood of the lamb it's time so Lord we thank you for your word tonight I pray this will really get in people tonight people that are hearing this to understand that we are in a blood covenant and God is so faithful to us he's so faithful to watch over his word to perform it that God is faithful. You are faithful, Lord, to your blood covenants. And we thank you, Lord, for, for causing us to be able to come into that blood covenant through Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would seal this word in every heart tonight and bless this and let it be powerful and effective tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.